All right, won't you stand, please? We'll read together God's Word. Joshua 24. We covered verses 1 through 13 last Sunday. We'll go now to verse 14. We're picking up right in the middle of the very last speech that he gives. It runs all the way to 33, the end of the chapter does. I'm going to cut it off from verse 14 to verse 24. We'll talk a little bit about the end of the chapter, but spend most of our time in what Joshua said right here. Grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's begin right there in verse 14. <clears throat> Joshua speaks. Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river and in Egypt and serve the Lord. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your father served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods, for it is the Lord our God who brought us and our fathers up from the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, and who did these great signs in our sight and preserved us, and all the way that we went, and among all the peoples through whom we passed. And the Lord drove out before us all the peoples, the Amorites who lived in the land. Therefore, we also will serve the Lord, for he is our God. Joshua said to the people, You're not able to serve the Lord, for he is a holy God. He's a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, then he will turn and do you harm and consume you after having done you good. And the people said to Joshua, No, but we will serve the Lord. Joshua said to the people, You are witness against yourself. You have chosen the Lord to serve him. They said, we're witnesses. Put away then the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, the Lord our God we will serve and his voice we will obey. Father, in our own power, Joshua is right. We cannot. We don't have the willpower. We don't have the emotional strength. We don't have the souls for it. But we have died, and our life is in Christ. So, Father, I pray that you help us. By your spirit, you strengthen us. By your word, you speak to your people. Father, I pray for all of those here that are dead in sin, that today they might be made alive. And so speak to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 
may be seated. We started in the book of Joshua back in May, made it through the summertime, into the fall, and now we're headed into the winter. We're almost done, just about six, maybe seven months in the book of Joshua. If you're a guest with us, you've come in, we're wrapping it up. This is the very last sermon in the book of Joshua. This book, this Joshua, this deliverer, the Old Testament, of course, we know when we look at it, we've got to remember that he is pointing to the greater, the truer Joshua, Jesus, who doesn't just deliver us out of bad situations. He is the deliverer that delivers us from the wrath of God and gives us the love of God found at the cross of Jesus. Joshua. The book of Joshua wraps up in such a way that it is unceremonious. In fact, you can come to the very end if you still have it open. Just look at the end of the chapter. Wraps up, I mean, it just sort of goes off into verse 29. At 110 years old, he dies. Verse 30, they buried him. The last thing we hear in the chapter is one of the priests died. Verse 31, though. Verse 31 gives the testimony of his life. The writer tells us that in verse 31, Israel served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua and had known all the work that the Lord did for Israel. Joshua stands in front of his people at the end of his life and he gives a speech. These people are going into a foreign land. They're going into Canaan. They are living in a place they don't belong. The Amorites are still in the land. Those Amorites had those fertility gods and goddesses that would be such a temptation for the flesh. Joshua stands them up and says, Now look, you're going into a place where you don't belong. You know the report, it is a land of milk and honey, but you don't get to taste much of that milk and honey. It's a land that looks good, but is bad for your soul. Joshua knew what some of you people know. Living in the promised land is hard. It's why we have this day set aside, the Lord's day, when we can come together and have our souls minister to and and heal and focus on the grace of God found in Jesus. But when you're out there in the world and you're at school or you're at work or you're even working at home, that world is a hard place to be. Living as a believer and a follower of Jesus in this world, let's just say this country, let's just say this city, is hard to do. The people you work with or closest to, they don't believe like you do. In fact, they don't only, not only believe like you, they think your belief is strange, maybe even judgmental. Men and women are voted into and then sworn into high office here in the United States of America. When they take an oath, they put their hand on a Bible. Just pick your president. That president knew what was in that book. He would take his hand off of that Bible, never swear on that book, open it up, and there you have the words of God. We live in a world that does not love the God 
of the Bible. We live in a world that doesn't believe like you believe, doesn't understand what you believe, doesn't really know why you believe like you believe. You feel that on a daily basis. If that's the case then, Joshua stands in front of the people going into the, to the promised land and he tells them, you can, you can live with joy in a world that hates your God. And so if I've, got a theme that's, um, if I've got a theme that's running through this sermon, that's what it'll be, living with joy in a world that hates our God. How do we do it? How do we live? How do you get up tomorrow morning and go to your place of work or work at home? How do you do that and still have the joy of the Lord as your strength? I think there are a couple of things that Joshua gives us. You can find them right there. Let's go to them pretty quickly. Here's the first one. Number one, what do we do? First thing is we count on grace. Count on grace. The word grace ought to be the dominant the dominant theme when it comes to you understanding Christianity. Where do we get that idea of grace? You see that one word in verse 14? Now, therefore, if you've read the Bible any time, you know that any time you see that word therefore, what is following the word therefore is dependent on what came before it. In other words, he's made an argument in verses 1 through 13. Now he's saying, now, based on that argument, therefore, what is that argument? That argument is grace. Verses 1 through 13, he has just given over and over, reciting God's good grace to his people, God's good provision to his people, God's good deliverance of his people, God's good protection of his people. All of it. When you go back and read the story of Joshua and how God has dealt with his people, not just New Testament, but in the Old Testament, how did God deal with his people? He did it in grace. How you understand salvation. In fact, I'll, I'll just press this even a little further. <clears throat> if you don't get sovereign grace right, if you don't get sovereign grace and saving grace right, then you actually don't get Christianity right. You can't truly understand what it means to be a Christian if you don't get a full grasp on how God saved you. It wasn't that you took the, took the first step and God came to you. You were dead in sin. Dead men don't walk. God spoke, called you out of deadness, rose up, gave you life. God creates what he commands. What did Jesus say? Lazarus, come forth. Had he not named Lazarus, every dead man in that cemetery would have got up. The power of God. We believe in sovereign, saving grace. If you don't get that right, what happens is you either fall over into one or two things. You can fall over into legalism. If you don't get grace right, you don't think it's enough, you have to do penance why we needed the Protestant Reformation because the Roman Catholic Church fallen over into legalism, doing penance. So if you don't get grace right, what happens is you feel like you have to constantly earn the forgiveness of God. That is a terrible will to be on. You'll never, ever, ever be good enough to get that. So many Christians, I'm afraid, operate in such a way that you feel like that there's a ledger on one side of the ledger of the things you did good, on the other side of the ledger are the things that you do bad and you get to heaven and St. Peter says, let me see your ledger and if you had enough on the good side, you're let in. That is not grace at all. 
legalism. The other side of grace is licentiousness. This is where I'm afraid so many people, even in a Baptist church, maybe if, even in our own, fall over into licentiousness because we hold so tightly to the doctrine, once saved, always saved, and we miss the truth of it being, if saved, always saved. We don't want to fall over in legalism where we are being judgmental. We don't want to fall over into licentiousness where we are presuming on the grace of God. We want to count on God's grace given to us at the cross of Jesus. How did God save you? He saved you by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. How does that work? God is holy. A holy creator who created all of us, created you in his image. The image of God in you is disfigured beyond recognition. When I say disfigured, what I mean is sin has so covered you and so broken our nature that we are not just far away from God. We are not just even separated from God. The way the Bible says, says it is that we are dead in sin. And how did God save us? Well, he gives us the God-man, Jesus. Jesus, fully God, fully man, lived perfectly. That's important. The, the life of Christ is important. Jesus lived perfectly in a way that we can't. He kept the law as our representative. He lived perfectly as our representative. And then at the cross, there's a transaction. At the cross, Jesus takes the wrath and judgment of God for any sinner that's going to believe. And the sinner that believes in Jesus then receives that righteousness where Christ fulfilled the law. So that when God looks at, if you are born again, God looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Christ. Now, it's important you get the gospel there because if you don't, what happens is you walk around with a bunch of guilt. Look now, if you're a son or daughter of God in, by faith in Christ, you walk around with a bunch of guilt or you walk around with a bunch of shame. Now, I'm not saying guilt's wrong. You've done some things you ought to feel guilty for, but guilt is a handmaiden to take you to the cross of Jesus. And once it's done its job, it's, it's not the not use anymore. Once, once you've repented of your sins, put your faith in Jesus, guilt is of no use, neither is shame. The Bible says in Romans 8, there is now no condemnation. You're going to live in this land, go to your job tomorrow, you need to count on the grace of God found in Jesus. Let me give you something else to consider. You'll find it in the speech that Joshua makes. Come on down into verse 14. Here's the second thing. Number two, we need to remember that God is God. You are not God. Who you work for is not God. The United States is not God. Our government is not God. God is God. And what Joshua says to the people now, you're going into a place that's going to make you afraid. In fact, the, the people that spied out this land the first time, they were afraid. And so here's what Joshua said. It's going to balance you out. Right there in verse 14, therefore fear God. What does it mean to fear? To be worshipful, to be overwhelmed, to, to stand in awe, to shake at the awesomeness of who God is. To fear God is the proper attitude of a redeemed sinner before a holy God. 
Grace is not any good if you don't fear God. You fear God and it makes grace, gives it the texture because you realize what I deserve is judgment, what I have is love. Fear God. We could use a little fear of God. Christian men and women, you're going to need to fear God. You know what fearing God does? When we fear God, it is preventative medicine. There are things that you won't do because you fear God. There are lines you won't cross sometimes when your will is weak, but you remember who God is and you fear God. Fearing God is, is motivational. When you think about this all-powerful God and you want to be living your life for this God, it is motivating. When you fear God, it makes you... It makes you careful. It makes us careful in speech, careful in thought, careful where we go, careful who we are with when we fear God. When you fear God, it makes you thoughtful. Look, if we, we come into this sanctuary on a Sunday morning to worship, there ought to be an element of the fear of God. I believe that if more people fear God, more Christians would show up to gather together on the Lord's Day and worship. You know what the fear of God does? The fear of God cures the fear of man. Now, this is going to be important in the days ahead. 2022, 2023, as our society continues on this runaway devolution into sinfulness, here we as the church are going to have to decide who do we fear. There'll come a day when a church like ours will lose its tax-exempt status. Do we fear the government or do we fear God? There'll come a day, and it's coming now, coming quickly. It's already coming to your public schools. They'll try to impose it on us in a private school where we stand on gender issues, and we've already made the decision. If you, if you decide now we fear God and nothing else, then the decision is made. One of those things you need to go ahead and get in your heart is the fear of God. If you fear God, you don't have to fear judgment. Fearing God drives your life. You see, we, we count on grace and we fear God. There's a third thing to notice in the Bible. Here's a third thing that, that uh, Joshua says, number three, and that is to take joy in serving, serving. You see what he says in verse 14? Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. If you keep reading this passage, there's 16 times where Joshua's going to say, serve the Lord, serve the Lord. You need to find a way to serve the Lord. Now, we need to be careful how we understand what it means to actually serve the Lord. That word serve, it shows up very early in the Bible. It's there in Genesis chapter 2 when God put Adam and Eve in the garden and he tells them to cultivate the garden. It's that word, cultivate, to serve. It's the idea of everyday living. What you're going to do tomorrow when you get up, if you go to an office and work or you go to school or you stay at home and work, it's what you're doing there, finding a way to turn that into you serving the Lord. You notice the two adjectives right there in verse 14, serve the Lord. You see those two words? With sincerity and faithfulness. What do they mean? Well, they modify what it means to serve. 
That word sincerity means uh, loyalty or integrity or total devotion. So that your life is lived out in service to the Lord every moment of every day and you are not a hypocrite. It is saying you are exactly who you say you are. You're the same person on Sunday at church as you are Monday at home or at work. It's the idea of genuine, without any kind of guile, serving. There's another word. Uh, it's the word faithfulness. I had a little more trouble with that. How do we serve faithfulness? That word actually is better understood as the word truth. We serve the Lord in our day-to-day -day lives, and we're, we're governed by truth. Truth shows up doctrinally. It shows up devotionally. It shows up in, in our lives. It is displayed in how we live. It's important we get doctrinal truth right. This is important. That when we have a clear understanding, let's just take the hot topic of the day. Let's take how the world is viewing gender. We should not be ashamed of the beautiful truth that God has given us in his word about what it means to actually be a man and what it means to actually be a woman. It is important that we live our lives serving God with a grasp on good doctrine. What does it mean to celebrate the the heterosexuality that God has given us in the Bible, to not be ashamed, well, I, I wish I didn't have to believe like this, but since the Bible says it, then I've got to stay to it. Instead, we rejoice in the beautiful truth that God has given us in His Word doctrinally. That doctrine then must invade our devotion. When you spend time with the Lord, it is important that you are reading good things and interacting with the Bible, breathing in the Scripture, breathing out prayer, so that doctrine then is informing devotion, and then that devotion then is displayed in your everyday living. That is how, living in this world, you take joy in serving, seeing, serving the Lord to what did Paul say? For me to live is Christ. And if I die, it is gain. And here Joshua stands him up and says, you're going into this land. People are going to be different than you. They don't believe anything you believe. You're going to need to take joy in serving. Let me give you another thing to notice in this speech. Not only take joy in serving, here's number four. That is throw away your idols. John Calvin said that every man's heart is a incessant idol factory. We, we, we make idols. We come up with things to worship. Joshua seems to know that. He says it two times right here in verse 14. He says it again down in verse 23. Why are those people still carrying idols around? I mean, haven't they seen what God has done? And Joshua says to him in verse 14, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, and put away those gods, those little idols that you're carrying, those things that you're secretly hoarding. Joshua saying, you, you're going to serve this God, and he'll talk about it a little later. You need genuine repentance and change. You don't hold on to for a rainy day. If things don't work out with this God, you can pursue other things. This is a this is a full-on, full-throated clearing out. This is a not hiding away. This is the radical nature 
of conversion. When you decide that there is one thing in your life that means the world to you, this is the pearl of great price. This is not allowing anything or anybody to get in the way of your worship of God through faith in Jesus. Be careful now. We all, we all have a tendency to hide a little idol, to keep it close by. It could be, it could be something as noble as success or having a fine home for your family. It could be something as noble as children. You, you just, you've turned it so that your children are the thing that means the most to you. And if you're not careful, then you are driven by a worship, even of your children. We all got to worship something. Yours might not be so noble. Yours might be um, more painful. Sometimes pain runs so deep and you get hurt so bad, you hold on to that so long that it actually becomes this terrible idol that you worship. Joshua says, if you're going to live in the land here, one thing you've got to do is make sure there is nothing that is in the way of you worshiping in a full-throated way this God. Throw away your idols. He keeps going in his little speech and the fifth thing he says is, is where we all get the famous quote. Now, if you know anything about the book of Joshua, you know Joshua 1, be strong and courageous. And you probably know Joshua 24. You might even have it on a plaque at home in verse 15. That is to make a commitment. I'm asking you today, you, to make a commitment. Notice what, notice what Joshua says in verse 15. And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve, whether the gods of your fathers that they served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose you dwell, whose land you dwell. As for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Follow the logic. I'll just, I'll run through it quickly. Verse 15, he tells them to choose. It's the only time in the Old Testament people are called to choose. Mostly in the Old Testament, it is God choosing. He chose Abraham, chose Israel, chose David. It's the idea of God choosing. And now Joshua says, okay, God's done all of that. Now, display your loyalty, commitment. Verses 16, 17, and 18, the people say, yes, we choose God. We, we want to do that. We heard the message, raise our hand, we want to be in. Verse 19, look at it. Joshua says, There's, you're not able to do it. Do you see what it says in verse 19? Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is holy and he is jealous and he will not forgive your sins. And you keep reading it and Joshua tells them, you don't understand who this God is. You think you can just say, I'm going to choose God? You know, the pagans living in the land, they could say that and it wouldn't matter. Because they could worship all the gods they wanted to. This God is a jealous God. And Joshua says, I don't think you understand the gravity of what it means to make a commitment. This is, um, this is tantamount to what Jesus said. <clears throat> Remember what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7? He got, he got done with the Sermon on the Mount to the end of it. Matthew chapter 7 and wraps up after the golden rule. This is what he says. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide and the way is easy 
that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. But the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. Those who find it are few. You feel like you're standing there by yourself? It's because you are. You feel alone in the world out there? It's because you probably are. You feel like that, that following Christ in this world is almost more than you can bear? It is. Even Joshua says, you're not able. Jesus told him in Luke 14 when he's going through what it means to be a disciple, he says, you need to count the cost. What king going off into battle doesn't put a, put a census on his troops and find out he has enough troops to fight the fight and win the war? Or what builder, when he's building a building, doesn't uh, think through what the cost is going to be before he starts so he doesn't get in the middle of it and can't finish the project? And Jesus says, look, that's discipleship. You need to think through. Let's just do away with this easy believism. Think through. Even, even Jesus, I mean, this is not, this is so far away from sometimes how people present the gospel. Jesus says, so any one of you who doesn't renounce all that he has, you can't be my disciple. Can you commit to that today? If you want to live with joy in this world as a Christian, that's the kind of commitment, the following of Jesus. Joshua pushes it further in verse 15, and he says, the sixth point, that you are to live as an example. Go back there to Joshua. You probably know it by heart. Uh, this has been used in men's events, and it's a great, it's a great thing for fathers. Or it's a great thing for mothers it's a great thing for every one of us, living as an example. Joshua says, choose you this day whom you will serve. And the end of it is, as for me, my house will serve the Lord. I wonder if you could say that. Dwelling where you are, as for me. And the influence I'm going to have, the people under my roof, Leadership, influencing, sacrificing, changing. Maybe you need to change the make. Standing alone. That you are the genuine article. Brothers and sisters, we need new examples. We need to take this Joshua 24, 15 off the wall and put it into your heart. You live your life as an example. I'll give you just one more. How are you going to do it here in this world? Number seven, that is discipline your heart. Your heart. So, so see the sequence. Watch it. Verse 15, Joshua makes the challenge. Verse 16, 17, and 18, the people say, yeah, we want to do that. Count me in. I'll be on that bus. We want to do that. And then verse 19, Joshua warns them, you can't do it. And then look at the final word of, of warning in verse 23. Do you see it there? Joshua said to them, Put away the foreign gods that are among you and incline your heart 
to the Lord. People say you, the heart wants what the heart wants. Look, that's garbage. The Bible teaches that you have a will and a mind to drive your heart to that which is good and holy and pure and right. Joshua says you incline, that word incline, you stretch out. You actively discipline your heart to the life of God. Look, we, we live in a world that hates our God, the God of the Bible. I want you to live in this world with joy and strength, not fear and bitterness, for God has not given us the spirit of fear as slaves. When you're in Christ, God has given us the spirit of adoption as sons and daughters bought by the blood of Jesus. We live with joy and not drudgery. How do you live with joy in a world that hates our God? With that in mind, I want to ask a few questions. Will you pray with me as I ask the questions? You listen. Just listen to the questions. The first question is, what have you done with grace? Have you presumed on it, or have you been judgmental and legalistic? Here's another question. Do you fear God, or have you made him small? <clears throat> Sometimes I feel like people have God serve them instead of them serving God. Is God too small in your thoughts? Here's something to, for, for Monday. How will you, just get it in your mind, in your, in your daily life, at home or at work, how will you serve God this week? What will you do? What idol cast out? What idol will you throw out? When we sing later, will you make a commitment? What commitment will you make today? Choose you today. Will you serve him? What needs to change for you to be an example? Have you been lazy in your heart and soul as a child of God? Do you need Jesus this morning? Part of how we open and how we close is singing songs of worship. This last song of worship is a call for any of you that want to respond. You may want to come and pray. You may want a pastor to pray with you or pray over you. You may want to talk about what it means to give your life to Christ. It's time for you to make a commitment. When we sing, we'll invite you to come forward. Father, thank you for the grace you've given us in Christ, for the joy we have as your children. I pray that men and women here today would grasp that joy and live in it. In Jesus' name we pray.